You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. For the next couple weeks, I'd like to, to take the, the beginning part of the account written by Luke of the, the life of Jesus and especially the first two chapters where he talks about the birth of Christ. But I want to look at it. If you read the account, almost everybody that is confronted with this news starts singing. So I want to take those songs and look at this event through the the prism, if you will, of, of these songs. Anthropologists have found that there's no tribe in the world, there's no place in the world that doesn't sing. Everybody sings. Even if you tell them not to, they will. Because part of being human is to sing. It doesn't, all the music doesn't sound the same, but It's something that is in the soul of every one of us. Singing has always been part of the response of God's people to God. How do you commune with God? How do you talk to God? How do you worship God? Well, if you read the Bible, it's pretty hard to not put music in there. In fact, if you read the book of Psalms, we, we looked at it together last, last summer. A lot of Psalms are just songs. So they would sing their prayers. They would sing, they just sang a lot. And it's been part of Christian tradition since the beginning. Sometimes, in fact, in the Psalms, you'll read things like this. Psalm 95.1 says this. Come, let us sing. Let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. I think he wants us to sing. Psalm 105, he says, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. One of the prevalent things and themes in the celebration of Christmas is singing. In Luke's story, almost everyone that hears the news, they break out in song. I love good Christian music. And I love Christmas music. Most of it. A painful thing has happened in recent years. It's complicated when you take Christ out of the whole Christmas story. It just gets complicated. So people talk about the spirit of Christmas. Like, what is it? Where did it come from? We don't know. It's just this thing that's out there. And so the music sounds kind of like that. It's painful. Like, you go in a store and you have to listen to the... it's, it's, It's just not good music. Let's just all agree on it. Most of the stuff that you have to listen to when you go to Walmart, it's just painful. But there is some really good Christmas music that celebrates this unbelievable... I mean, just think about it. 
the God who spoke into being everything decided to become a human and, and live among us. And all we have to sing about is candy canes? Come on. But there is this... Okay, that wasn't the point of my message. The point of my message is that everybody that first came in contact with this news started to sing. And so over these weeks, I'd just like to listen into their songs and, and, and hear what they were singing about. Why does everybody sing when they come in contact with this news? Well, I think their song is an invitation to us to join in. So my first question is, why all the singing? What's everybody singing about? Let me just talk for a minute about singing in general. Maybe you're one of those people, and you're here this morning, Pastor, I love music, but singing, I just don't. I just don't really like to sing. Well, here's... Here's the good news. They've found now, scientists, medical people, that singing is actually really good for your health. Maybe painful for the person next to you, but for your own health, it's actually really good. And here's the weird thing. If you sing in groups, it's even better for you. This is what they found. That when you sing with other people, that there's actually hormones in your physical body that are released. Oxytocin, endorphins, and those are good ones. Endorphins are happy hormones. They, when you feel pleasure, when you get excited about something, those are the things that, wah! Oxytocin, the best I understand it, it's like the warm fuzzy hormone. It's the relational hormone. When you feel connected relationally, When you sing, that's what happens. They've also found that those who sing and do music often have a higher IQ. And the musicians that are here are like, yeah, hello, we've known that all along. (laughs) It's actually good for your brain. It relieves stress, it boosts your immunity, it helps your posture, your breathing. It's good. But I'm not here this morning to convince you to sing. But actually singing does not come from the same place in your brain as speech does. Interesting. Every month, I have the privilege of going with some folks to Symphony, which is in the community here. It's a nursing home. And just an opportunity to sing together, share God's word. Really fascinating. A lot of the folks there are, are they're in the last chapter. And some of them have dementia. They, they, they can't remember from week to week their name. They're not really sure where they grew up. But you start singing hymns, and an amazing thing happens. The same people can sing four verses word for word because it's in your soul. It's, it's a really powerful thing. So at Christmas, the first Christmas, everybody was singing. It's actually been part of Christian tradition from the get-go. The music may differ, but every church that you go to anywhere in the world, singing somehow has a part, and often it's, it's it's an important part. Why? Well, 
Let me just underline a few things that you find in the scripture. One of the reasons is one of the most poignant, powerful ways to worship and praise God is to sing. So when we sing, praise, there's two ways to praise God. One is to praise God just direct, just saying to God. So we say things like this. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, I I look and I see the worlds that your hands have made. I see the stars and I hear the thunder. Your power throughout the universe displayed. What does my soul say? How great you are. Now I can say those words to you and oh, those are really nice. But when you sing them, something happens in your soul. You can praise God by singing directly to him. You can also praise him by singing about the things that he's done in your life and, and, and you're, you're praising him to other people. This is who he is. This is why it matters. So one of the reasons that we sing is that there's lots of ways to praise and thank God, but one of the most profound ways is to sing. Now you've heard me say this before. All of us were created to worship. You don't get a choice in that. You will worship. You do worship. The only thing you have a choice about is who or what you're going to worship. And we worship some really dumb stuff. Worship is when you give value and honor and praise to someone or something. And the Bible says that all of us are worshipers. And one of the ways that we most poignantly do that is we sing. We sing a song often... Uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. And, and I will sing. There's 10,000 reasons that my heart has to sing. We also sing to pray. A lot of the psalms are music, but they're actually prayers. They're, they're conversations that people have with God. So some of the laments that you find, they're... they're They're prayers, but they're using music to pray. Psalm 4, Psalm 5. They're they're songs of prayer. Some of the most poignant laments have been written by African Americans who lived through the awful, awful throes of slavery. Music was sometimes all they had. But their songs didn't sound like our song. Because often when they would look out, there was, there was nothing to be hopeful about. There was nothing like, oh, maybe tomorrow this will be better. But you still got to talk to God. And, and the songs are rich and beautiful, heart-wrenching cries to God. So sometimes we sing to pray. We even petition God in prayer through music. We, we sing a song here often. It says, um, Lord, I'm running to your heart. I, I want you to set my soul on fire. Like, pour your, your holiness into me. Pour your fire into me. So sometimes we sing to pray. Often we also sing, and you find it in the scriptures, when we are facing really difficult things. When you're walking through trials... Sing. 
There's, there's nothing that, that makes your heart stand up, your soul, better than singing. It lifts you up. When you're in trouble, worship. There's other things you could do. You can watch TV. It'll probably depress you. Or grab something to eat. You'll feel better for a little bit. But, but the Psalms call us, when your heart is downcast, sing. Paul and Silas are in prison. I don't know if they're ever getting out. But they sang. Singing is good for the soul. I've heard all kinds of excuses that we have for not singing. Pastor, I'd love to sing, but I just don't really like the music at, at, at your church. I'm okay with that because I'm not singing for you. That we're singing for God. And I don't even like all the music. It's okay. Just teach your heart to sing. I'd love to sing, but some of the songs are just really difficult. Seriously. Most of the stuff, we're not doing Mozart here. This is not that complicated. We can do it. We can get it. Or one of the excuses we use is, Pastor, I'd love to sing, but I'm a terrible singer. I can't sing on key. If that's you... Just come over in my section, join me. Because I can't either. But it, singing is not because we're professionals, because we're good at it. It's because our souls need it. My grandparents, my dad's mom and dad, both grew up in really rugged situations. Both of them met Jesus later in their life and, and were radically transformed. They didn't ever get it all figured out, but what they did know was they loved Jesus. When they would come to visit us, we loved it, except when we had to go to church. Because they only sang at one volume, and it was really loud and not very good. So we would draw straws to see who would have to sit next to them, because it was embarrassing. But I get it now. They weren't singing because they were beautiful singers. They were singing because something happened to them and the only way that they could figure out to, to celebrate it was to sing because it's really good for your soul. But as I said, my goal in these weeks is not to convince you to sing. My goal is to, to walk through these beautiful songs that have been given to us. Let me close this part with these words from John Wesley. He says, when you sing, sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you're half dead or half asleep. Lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now or more ashamed of it being heard than when you sang the songs of Satan. And I'll just leave you with John's words. Now, let me jump in to Zechariah. Zechariah was one of the first ones to hear about the coming Messiah. And you heard the first part of the story. This is what happened. Zechariah worked in the temple. And that's really important to understand in the story. His job, if you remember, in the temple, people came to worship. And in the back of the temple was a place where God's presence dwelt. 
God was in there. But you, you couldn't go in there because his holiness and our unholiness couldn't be in the same room. So in between the place where God was and the people were worshiping, there was another place that was called the holy place. And in there, the priest would go as a mediator between us and the presence of God. And one of the things they did was they lit incense. For what? What well, was like a symbol of our prayers and our praises and our petitions going up to God. And, and God loving us and responding. So he goes in to do that. And he doesn't come back. That's not good. Because if you accidentally went in the wrong door, you didn't come out not because... You took a wrong turn because you were dead. So when somebody didn't come out, you want to go in? No. No. That. So they just waited. Well, this is what happened. Zechariah is praying and he's lighting incense and it says that Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, all of a sudden is in the room. And he says to him, God has heard your prayer. And, and he's going to give you and your wife Elizabeth a son. And Zechariah says, how do I know that you're telling me the truth? And the angel says, until that day comes, your lips are going to be sealed. He didn't say it exactly like that. He just said, you're not going to speak. Well, Zechariah goes out and he is, he's like something happened. There people, he couldn't talk. So he couldn't explain what happened. And, and he's trying to get them to understand that what they got was something happened in there and you saw something. That's what happened. Now, jump ahead in the story, verse 57. Nine months or longer have gone by and God keeps his word to Zechariah. And this is what it says, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared in her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, 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 no. He is to be called John, they said, wait a minute, there's no one among your relatives that has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child, and he asked for an iPad. <laughs> wait, no, a writing tablet, my bad. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak and praise God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand is with him. When this happens, Zechariah starts to sing. And praise God. But, but let me give you, before we look at the song, let me just give you some of the, the context of the song. This is what it says. 
first thing is, on the eighth day, Jewish boys were brought to the temple, and, and a couple things happened. The first thing that would happen was that they would be circumcised. That was a symbol. When people were circumcised, when boys were circumcised, it was like this outer symbol of, it's like a ring. This is a symbol of, of my commitment to my wife. Well, that was a symbol that these were God's people, that he was their God, and they were his people. So that happened on the eighth day. The other thing that happened was that they were given a name. It's really important. For us, names, eh, you know what? We just we have kids and try to come up with a good name, and boom. So the only thing you can figure out in America when you hear somebody's name is usually tells a little bit maybe what generation they came from. So if you hear Hilda, that's probably back a little bit. Hilda, if you're here this morning, I'm, I'm just saying that that's a name that's usually a little farther back. And then there's, each generation has some really popular names. And so when we're going to name somebody, grab one of those and it doesn't usually have a specific, that, that was not... That's not how it is in most of the world, and it's for sure not that way in Jewish tradition. In fact, a name was tied to your identity. So often the names that were chosen were a name that your grandfather had, or your great-grandfather, or an uncle. Or, and for you're carrying on the tradition of the family. Interesting. So the, the boy is brought, and he's being circumcised and given a name. The father can't speak, so they turn to mom. Mom, what do you got for a name? John. Ah. They're like, you, you, you can't do that. The woman's lost her senses. She's older. Dad, come up with a name for this guy. So he says, give me something to write on. And he writes... John. Where did that come from? It actually came from God. Elizabeth, the mother's name, meant the oath of God, the promise of God. Zachariah's name meant God remembers. The son's name, John, means the Lord has been gracious. He has not forgotten. It's really important. God's the one who gave the name. You remember the story of Abram? Abram's name was Abram. It means exalted father. When God comes to him and, and calls him and, and he, he says, I'm going to change your name. You're going to be called Abraham, which means father of many nations. Where did he get the name? God gave it to him. That's really cool. Simon. Jesus called Simon to follow him. Simon's a great guy. But he looks at Simon and he says, I'm going to call you Peter. Pierre. Which means rock. Seriously? I mean, Peter was a lot of things. I'd go with wave. Like, whatever way it's going, and there's a big wave, and it's Peter. 
And Jesus looks at him and he says, you're a rock. Let me ask you this morning. Has God given you a name? All of us who have come to him, he makes us new. And it's not a name like a name for... It's, it's who God has made you to be, who he, he in Christ is making you to be. It's him. It's beautiful. So, important piece in the story. Second piece that's really important is that God speaks. For, for us, when we have a person and we have what they said, it's two different things. There's this guy and then there's what he said. God's not like that. His word is him. So when he speaks, there's never, ever, 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 ever been a word that God spoke that didn't happen. It, his word is him. So when he speaks, it's really important. And for 400 years, this people that was God's people in the Old Testament, the prophets that he had spoken to, for 400 years, there's silence. So after Malachi and Zephaniah, for 400 years, there's, there's silence. That's a long time. God hasn't said anything. Now, Zechariah, whose name means God remembers, is standing in the holy place putting prayers to God. One of the prayers that he has, the angel said, was that he kept asking God to give he and his wife a child. Gabriel shows up. It's really cool. Gabriel is the one who stands in God's presence. Everybody else who even like put their toe into God's presence, Moses got his foot in there, he started glowing. So Gabriel shows up directly from God's presence. Got a message for you from God. Here's the message. What you've been praying for, he's going to do. And you know what Zachariah did? What most of us do when God answers our prayer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it, it happened. Who, who knew? God answers prayer. And so when he heard it, he said to, the, he said to Gabriel, like how do, seriously, how do I know that this is actually going to happen? It's kind of a funny question. Most of the places in the Bible when an angel shows up, people are trembling. Okay, you were standing here in this room a minute ago, and there's an angel from heaven standing by you. Anything telling you that maybe something could happen here? But he doubted, and so it says that his mouth was closed. He didn't know if he was ever going to speak again. But you see, that's part of the story. Why is God silent sometimes? Have you ever walked through a time when it just felt like God wasn't saying anything? Well, sometimes, almost all the time, when God is silent, one of the things he wants from us is to just trust him. Even though right now I can't hear, I'm still going to trust but there's sometimes he's silent because when he spoke the last time, 
We decided we didn't want to listen. And he's a gentleman. If you don't want to hear, he's okay. He's going to be just fine whether you listen or not. But for 400 years, there had been silence. God had loved this people. He poured himself out. He sent Moses. He sent the prophets. He sent the judges. He sent, he did everything. But they still chose not to obey. And so at the end of the Old Testament, there's a silence. And now God is going to speak again. And he unexpectedly shows up and he speaks and, and Zechariah says, I'm, I'm not sure. And so it's not a punishment, it's a, it's, it's a sign. And he doesn't speak. Now, the baby's born, he's brought to the temple, and it's time to choose a name. When they turn to him, they ask him, what's the baby's name? He says, his name is John. He obeyed what God said. It was God that said his name will be John. And when he turned to Zechariah, he said, it's John. And when he did it, all of a sudden, his mouth was open. That's a picture. When, when we heed God, often we hear him a lot better. That's what happened to Zechariah. And what came out was a song. He started to sing. Let me just look for a couple minutes at the song itself. If you're going to understand, like we don't even think about music in our culture because we're just used to it. If you've been in church for a while, most of the songs kind of go the same. You sing a verse, and then there's a chorus. And then you sing a verse, and then there's another chorus. And then they got this thing they call a bridge, and you go over the bridge, and then you come back, and then done. And, and so when it happens, you're not even surprised, because that's what all songs do. Well, Hebrew songs and poems weren't like that. They worked on a different thing. So this is how it worked. Often, they used parallelism. So they, like if you look in the Psalms, they'll say something, and then they'll repeat it again. Well, another thing they used, and, and it's true in this song, if you look at the first line and the last line, they say the same thing. He talks about the same thing. That lets you know what he's talking about. And then the second line and the second to last line talk about the same thing. And then you get to the middle. And when you get to the middle, that's when you find out what the song is about. I, I can just see that some of you are just thrilled that you know that now. Life-changing. Well, it's important because... If you want to understand what he's singing about, that's what... So, the first thing he's singing about is he's singing about redemption. This is what he says in verse 68. Praise be to the Lord. Praise the God of Israel because he has come to his people and he has redeemed them. Now the last, verse 77. To give his people... The knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sin. He's, he's praising God for the redemption that has come. What, what does that mean? Like we, we sing a lot of songs about redemption. There's a redeemer. I will sing of my redeemer. What are we singing about? Well, deliverance happens when a mighty hand 
delivers us from enemies that are too strong for us. We can't deliver ourselves, and so God reaches in and he redeems us. In verse 71, he says, salvation comes from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. The enemies he's talking about, he's not talking about the people on your list that you don't like very much. Those are not the enemies. The enemies are people who are oppressing other people. They're oppressors. They, they hold us or they hold other people in captivity and you can't get out. And we, we sang uh, one of the hymns that we sang earlier that, that in Jesus, the word came that all oppression will someday cease. Hallelujah. So Zacharias sees it and he praises God. What are some of the things that oppress us? The bullies in our life. People who use their power or their resources to oppress other people. Zacharias says that in Jesus, there's hope because redemption has come. He's rejoicing because the bad guys are finally going to get what they deserve. I mean, be honest. When you see an arrogant bully get what he deserves, your heart goes, yes! Zachariah is saying that that day has come. That it's not fully here. On that day, all the oppression and the injustice will end. But the door has already opened for it to come. In his name, all oppression will someday cease. But what does that mean for us right now? Who is it or what is it that abuses us? Well, for some people, it's a relationship. For some people, it's a relative. Some people, it's a spouse or an employer. What he's saying is, Jesus has invited us who have come to him to stand up to injustice and, and say no. When people are abused, often historically it's been the church that has stood up and, and cried out. And that's what it should be. Because Jesus has come to redeem everybody. And that's what he's singing about. Maybe what has you oppressed is not a person, it's, it's a something. It, it, it's a something that the Bible calls sin. And we get trapped in it. It's something in all of us that conspires against God. We're nuts. Let's just say it. We do stuff and we, we know I shouldn't do that. And actually, if I do do it, it's probably going to destroy me. And if I do it, it's probably not even going to work. It's stupid, but we still do it. Why? Because we're trapped in it. And that's why Jesus came. And it says he's come to redeem us, to reach down and pull us out of where we couldn't get out of ourselves. Zachariah sees it and he says, hallelujah.
The middle of the song is, is the main point of the song. And what it's about is the faithfulness of God. Listen to verse 72 and 73. He says this. He's coming to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. And then he repeats the idea. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So Zechariah looks at the story and He just worships God because of God's faithfulness. I imagine that the nine months or ten months or eleven months, whatever it was between that moment in the the holy place and the coming of his son, he had a lot of time to think. He couldn't talk. So what do you think about? Especially if you don't have an iPhone. Like, what do you do? What, what did people think about back in that day? Well, most kids who grew up in Israel as, as Jewish children, they memorized the Torah. They, they heard the stories of God's faithfulness, of, of Moses and Abraham and David and all, the, all these stories about the faithfulness of God. So... Well, he's got nine months to think about it. He's rethinking all those stories and this word that was spoken to him that the promised Messiah is coming and the one who's going to announce it is actually going to be his son. Amazing. A number of the lines in his song are actually from words from Isaiah. They're, they're, They're the things that he had heard and learned and now he's singing about them. Because God is faithful. 400 years is a long time. Sometimes when God puts us in the waiting room, it feels like, oh my goodness. Zachariah is looking and he's, he's, he's singing because God is faithful. Always. And... The power of gratitude is that it allows us to see what's really true. That God is always faithful to his word. Now God is showing up. Keeping his covenant. Keeping every promise that he made. Zechariah is the first one to hear the news. So, as we walk through this season... I just want to invite you to join the song. It, it's amazing. God has sent Jesus to redeem us and to give us a new name. To, to make us new people. He, he's come and everything that he said and that he has promised, it will happen. Somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, you talk about the end a lot. Do you think it's like going to be like real soon? My answer is, I don't know. But yes, real soon for God is real soon. And it might be tomorrow, it might be the next day. But all I know is that that's what he said. And it will happen. So, Let's go into this thing 
singing. I'm going to invite Josiah and the team to come, and while they do, let me pray for us. Jesus, we sang earlier, you are worthy of every song we could ever sing. You are worthy of every thought we could ever think. You are worthy of every, every, everything. And so, as we celebrate in these days the fact that you came to live among us, to, to redeem us, to, to prepare the next day when you finally return and everything is made right. So we sing to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.